Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Graduates, this is your weekend. It may have felt like it was a long time in coming. For some of you, what has happened here in recent years seems like a very long period of time, and for others, it seems like it's gone by rather quickly. But whether it seems brief or long in coming, this is a weekend to celebrate your accomplishments. In fact, about 30 hours from now, 32 hours from now, Your degrees will have been conferred, and you will be able to walk away from Loma Linda knowing that this stage of your educational process has slipped into the rearview mirror. So it's a very important weekend, a time to celebrate. At a time like this, I'd like to turn your thoughts toward one reality that I don't think I overstate the case in saying, one reality that actually could influence the remainder of your life could influence how you live your life, how much you're able to do with your life, how much God is able to work in you. I don't think I overstate the case in saying how you handle this one reality will determine a great deal about who you are and what you do. And that one reality is habits. Habits. What your habits are. Now, every one of us who's here this early afternoon already realizes, recognizes that habits have played into us being here at this place this morning. Some of you arrived not only on time, but ahead of time. You got in the line out there. You could breathe easy. You could enjoy the moment. You could look around at everybody who was arriving. You were ready to face the time. Others of you squeezed every possible moment out of last night's and this morning's sleep all the way to the moment in time where you hit the alarm for the last time, leaped out of bed, raced through the bathroom, out to the car, oh, I hope there's parking, ran here, breathlessly arrived at the line, just in time as Esther was saying, come on, we got to move. And both had to do with habits. In fact, unless I miss my guess, there were family members that walked up. Here for the service, they saw the line of graduates lining up, and some family members said, oh, I know she's here. She's always here. And there were others that said, man, I hope he makes it. (laughs) (laughs) Habits. You know about habits in your own class, even though your classes are large. If if I were to take the mic and do a roving mic down to each one of you, you could share some of the really annoying habits of your classmates. You've been around enough to notice those. Or while we're talking about classmates, maybe you have roommates. Roommates whose habits either blessed you or didn't. You know what I'm talking about. You were thankful for your roommate's neatness. Or you came to loathe those dirty dishes in the sink, those dirty socks on the living room floor. I'm not going to pick up another one of them. Habits. 
While we're talking about habits, we have to talk about the place where we see them the most clearly of all, and that's in our marriages. A CVS poll out of New York surveyed 1,000 American married people, asking them the question, what is your partner's most annoying habit? What just gets to you, grinds at you? What's your, their most annoying habit? Number one on the list, both husbands and wives, men and women, number one on the list, most annoying habit was their habit to do selective listening. You know what I'm talking about. So I'm listening, I'm listening, uh-huh. Selective listening. In fact, I'm sure the man must have participated in the survey, the man who said, my wife says I don't listen. Or at least I think that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Habits. Everywhere we go, we encounter them. They give form and shape and direction and substance to our lives. Some of them good and some of them not so good. In fact, I realize that right now we are all, maybe I shouldn't say all, but I'll say virtually all, caught up in a habit that has only come about in recent years. And yet it seems to have affected us around the globe. I was sitting recently on a tour bus, the tour group, driving through a rather remote area, secluded area of Egypt. And as we were driving along, I looked out the window. I saw a very humble home there with two older gentlemen seated out on the front porch, seated in rather broken-down lawn chairs. They were kind of slumped down in their seats. And these two older gentlemen were doing this on their phones. Older gentlemen in Egypt. I've seen it from North America to South America, from East to West, from young to old. We're all caught up in a habit that we don't quite yet know how it's going to affect us emotionally, spiritually, interrelationally. Habits. Everywhere we go, we encounter them. They give shape and substance, direction to our lives. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, you know, I, I, I really don't have that many habits. I, I, I don't. Well, don't think too quickly. I think of the gentleman who said, you don't think you have habits until you try to change one. Suddenly you realize. As far back as the 1700s, the British writer Samuel Johnson said, the chains of habit are too weak to feel until they're too strong to break. Habits. You ever tried changing a habit? Notice how easy it is to revert right back to what you were doing before. Reminds me of the gentleman who had a secret habit. It was bothering him deeply. Couldn't sleep at night. Had to do something about it. And so he finally decided he had to go and confess. He went to his local Catholic church, went to the confessional, and spoke to the priest and said, Father, I've, I've got to confess. I've been doing this for a long time. It's really burdening my soul. What have you been doing? Well, I work at a lumberyard. And I've been stealing the lumber. Really? How much have you been stealing? Well, I stole enough to build my house. <laughs> Whoa. That's, that's a lot. Is that all? Uh, and my son's house. <laughs> what? Is that all? Well, my two daughters' houses as well. You've stolen that much lumber? Well, and then our house by the lake. 
Oh my goodness, the priest says, this indeed is a grievous sin. I'm going to have to think of some form of penance to deal with this. He was silent for a moment, and then he asked him, have you ever considered doing a retreat? And the man immediately said, no, but if you can get the plants, I can get the lumber. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so easy to go back to our habits. Habits give direction and form to our lives. It's a book I'm reading right now. It's a compelling, compelling little book written by Justin Early entitled The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. Listen to what Early writes. As far as our habits go, he writes, the invisible reality is this. We are all living according to a specific regimen of habits, and those habits shape most of our lives. A habit is a behavior that occurs automatically over and over and often unconsciously. A study from Duke University suggested that as much as 40% of the actions we take every day are not the products of choices, but of habits. As William James put it, all our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. The problem is, and this is a big problem, the problem is that much of what is fundamentally shaping our existence is happening unconsciously. But just because we don't choose our habits doesn't mean we don't have them. On the contrary, it usually means someone else chose them for us. And usually that someone doesn't have our best interest in mind. Take your work schedule or your social media scrolling, for example. Think about your internet history or how you spent your mornings last week. Think about what you usually eat for lunch or the time you spend with family versus the time you spend looking at a screen during a normal day. These things define vast portions of our lives. And while we would like to think we've carefully chosen them, most often we haven't even given them a second thought. Most often... We just swim along with, those around, with what those around us are doing, and much more often than we would like to admit or even understand, we are nudged into those choices by those who want to make money off the patterns of our daily life. This wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the fact that habits form much more than our schedules. They form our hearts. It's those last four words that I would urge you to consider. They form our hearts. So I want to say something to you today. You stand on the threshold of something new. You're about to step into a new kind of world. Many of you away from your educational process and into a professional setting. It's a time of transition, and times of major transition are rainy seasons in our lives. That's what I'd like you to consider today. It's the rainy season. And I'm not talking about our concerns about the fact that it may rain and soak us all tomorrow out on the mall. I'm talking about a different kind of rainy season. It's captured in the story of a man traveling in a tropical country. He says, I was traveling in this tropical country where there are but two seasons of the year, the rainy season and the dry season. Not much variation in the temperature, a great deal of variation in how much water comes down from the sky. 
Because of the texture of the soil in that particular place, he said, when it rained and you would drive your car outside of the, out of the urban areas, it was often dirt roads. And when it rained, the soil, because of its texture, became rather soft. And so the cars, the trucks driving through would create furrows, grooves in the land. But as the dry season came, the texture of that soil would harden and become extremely hard. So hard, in fact, it was almost like concrete. Back in the south where I grew up, they would say it was as hard as woodpecker lips. <laughs> That's pretty hard. <laughs> it would become very hard. And yet all of these grooves now became ruts. And those ruts were set and firm and were difficult to get out of. Because of that, the man said, my eye was drawn to a hand-painted sign. Somebody had gotten a board, slapped a few letters on the board, and nailed it up to a tree that simply said this, choose your ruts carefully. You'll be in them the next 20 miles. Today's rainy season. You're in a transition. Up ahead of you, as you start this next phase of your life, it will be as though the plain is all open and empty, doesn't have grooves. It's the rainy season. You will begin to drive on that plain ahead of you. And your vehicle, the vehicle of your life, it has been said that we move through time in a vehicle call now. That vehicle call now will begin to create grooves. And then what truly happens is as the days pass, the rain ceases. The grooves become hardened. And you now will find it extremely difficult to get out of those ruts. Now, if, if those ruts, if those routines, if those habits are good ones, such that they are pointing you in the direction you believe God has called you to go, the destination to which God has called you as a person and as a professional, if they lie in that direction, they actually can be immensely helpful to you. Unconsciously, you will be making the kinds of choices day in and day out that move you in life-oriented positive directions. But if they're not, it can become a battle that for some people lasts the rest of their lives trying to get out of those ruts. Thinking about this call to mind for me again. Conversations that my wife and I had with our kiddos as they were growing up. You know those conversations when the time comes you have to have important talks, maybe about drugs and so forth. I can remember I adopted a mantra at that time that I said to my kids over and again, and that was simply this. If you never start... You never have to worry about stopping. If you never drive that groove to begin with, a rut will never develop, and you never have to say, I may be in this rut for another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So it's a time of transition. Times of transition are rainy seasons. What will be the habits that you will form well, while you're thinking about that, I want to take you to the Psalms, to Psalm 119, the 119th Psalm. Now, those of you who have spent a little time with Scripture know that that's the 
not only the longest psalm in Israel's ancient hymn book, it's also the longest chapter in the Bible. So settle in, we're going to be here a while. No, I'm interested in one text, actually, out of the 119th Psalm. We're going to have to read several texts leading up to it and give a bit of context, but I'm especially interested in one text. So first, a bit of context about Psalm 119. It is an acrostic psalm. What that means is the writer took the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and made 22 stanzas. Each stanza beginning, not just the stanza itself, but each line within it with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses, the first stanza, Aleph. They all begin with Aleph. The second stanza, the next eight verses, they all begin with Baith, and so on throughout the entire psalm. If we were to summarize the psalm, I would summarize it by saying that the psalmist is taking great delight in saying, I glory in the ways and the wills and the working of God in the world and in my life. I want it to be reflected in how I live. I want to honor his precepts. That's woven into the fabric of this entire psalm. We're going to read from stanza 7. Zion is the Hebrew letter. In this particular stanza, he's talking about the fact that in his life, probably not too different from what you will face once you get out, in his life, he's facing real and serious challenges. He's having to turn to God's way and say, I'm clinging to your way, I'm clinging to your word, because the world around me is being very tough to live in. I have enemies and foes that are trying to get me to depart from your ways, but I'm just clinging to them. So notice Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Times are tough. Temptations abound. Pressures are being brought to bear upon me. People are trying to move me out of the ways in which I have habitually wanted to follow you. But I'm depending on you, God. I'm clinging to your promise and to your word. Then verse 54. Your decrees are the theme of my song. Wherever I lodge, in the night, Lord, I remember your name that I may keep your law. Now what the psalmist says here is actually not that different from how Jesus habitually lived his life. If you read the Gospels, for example, take the Gospel of Luke. If you read Luke, you soon come to the conclusion that Jesus had a habit, a custom, a practice of quiet, silent prayer, sometimes lasting all night, getting away by himself to commune with his Father. That was his habit. If you read over in Mark's gospel, you discover that he did that habit early in the morning. Mark tells us that he rose early in the morning, a great while before day, and went out to pray. That was his habit. You discover reading Luke that his habit was to join corporate worship. Luke 4, and the Sabbath day when it came, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Another word for that, as was his habit. 
He habitually worshiped as part of a community of faith. You don't have to read very far in any of the four Gospels to realize that one of the habitual things Jesus did was that he relieved suffering and pain no matter where he turned, drawing people who felt marginalized and abandoned into the very heart of God's will. That was his habit. So in the night we find him doing just what the psalmist here says, your song is my music at night. Your promise is that to which I cling. That's how I live my life. Now comes the verse that is the key focus, verse 56. After describing all of this, the psalmist says, this has been my practice. Practice. That word? Habit. This has been my habit. I obey your precepts. It had become so woven into his life's fabric that he habitually, in a disciplined fashion, lived that way. One Old Testament scholar writing about this section, this seventh stanza, says this, This section is full of confidence in God and comfort to those who are waiting for his deliverance. Difficult as life may be, God's Word can help the suffering sing even at night. And then notice this, phrase, this sentence. This lifestyle does not develop overnight, but comes from habitual practice. The psalmist guarded carefully the precepts of God because in them he found life, restoration, and comfort. Habitual practice. We all have habits. Habits give shape and form to our lives. It's how we spend large amounts of our time. You have them in terms of how you get ready for the day, how you unwind at night. You have them for how you interact with your family, how you treat your children, your spouse. You will have them for how you treat your patients. You will have them for how you deal with ethical realities in life. You will have them regarding how attentive you are to boundaries, professional, personal boundaries. We all have habits. But in a unique way, you, at a moment of transition, face the rainy season. The rain is falling. The ground ahead of you is soft and pliable. And those grooves will begin to appear as you drive day in and day out through the coming few weeks into your professional life. The point is, a few weeks down the road and the rain stops falling. And those grooves begin to harden. The question is, when you know I'll be in them the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, are they moving you in a Godward, service-oriented direction? Or are they moving you elsewhere? I'm caught by the story. Story told by Philip Halley. Philip Halley, a, a philosopher, an author, a professor, degrees from Oxford and Harvard, well-studied gentleman, he was caught by the story of something that happened at a little French town in World War II. The name of the little French town was Les Chambons. He was caught by what happened at Les Chambons because it stood out as different from what happened in many of the other villages and hamlets in not just that whole area, but in France and even throughout Europe. 
Because in Le Chambon, the people had put their necks on the line, their lives in the firing line to protect the Jewish people living among them. They invited them into their homes. They found places to hide them. They found places that they could keep them safe from the Nazi officers and soldiers who came looking for them. And as Halley read the story, he had the question, what was different about those citizens in Les Chambons? He decided, I have to go. I have to do some research into this. I have to talk to the people, those who still survive and the children of them. I have to find out what happened. And so Halley went. And he began to engage in dialogue with the people of Le Chambon. And he found something interesting begin to emerge. Maybe the first thing he noticed was they weren't outstanding people, larger than life, particularly courageous well-armed. No. They were just ordinary people like you, like me. Ordinary people. And so he pried and probed beneath the surface. What happened? What he discovered was habits. Habits, one of which was common communal worship where their pastor, Pastor Andre Trochme, stood up and consistently told them the way of Jesus is to stand for the persecuted, to protect the downtrodden, to speak up for those who don't have a voice, such as the Jewish people in our midst. That's the way of Jesus. Week in and week out, one elderly lady said, he told us how Jesus would behave what Jesus would have done. Thus it was, she says, the day came when they came searching her place and she feigned and faked a heart attack and was able to escape the search. But she said, I didn't forget what pastor told us. He said, if you habitually, in a disciplined way, follow Jesus, when the trial comes, you'll know what to do. And that, Hallie, determined was the difference. That disciplined habit of following Jesus. We're proud of you. Your parents are proud of you. Your family members, your faculty and administration, I'm proud of you. We're proud of what you've done. We're eager to see what comes next. But when you look back at this day, I hope you'll remember, right here starts the rainy season. It won't last terribly long. So in the rainy season, choose carefully.